This morning, we're going to be looking at that work of the Spirit called healing. Now, healing is one that brings all sorts of feelings and emotions. Some of you have experienced this in your past. Some of you this morning are desiring this in a particular um, way in your life right now. And then all of us have all sorts of confusion around it. Some of us come from a particular tradition that says, like, that's great that Jesus and, you know, the Bible has healings, but that's not how God works today. Or on the other side, we watch, like, the television preacher who just can apparently heal anything and everything all of the time. You know, and you've got the weird stuff from, like, people taking off coats and hitting people with them, shoving people, right? So we just, when we say, hey, today we're talking about healing, we come with a wide range of both desire for something like that in our lives, but also confusion, and even more than that, the frustration and even the anguish of when we prayed for healing for so-and-so and nothing happened, or they got worse, or they died. Healing brings a whole bunch of questions. And so my hope today is for us to just kind of begin to step into all that the scripture has for us when it comes to healing. So bit of like an overview of where we're going to go today. We're going to start by looking at kind of a flyover of the story of healing in the New Testament. Like this is a very abbreviated version of it, but a story of healing. And then we're just going to work through what is the substance of healing in the scriptures? What is the scope of healing? And then what is the basis of healing? So the story, the substance, the scope, and then the basis of healing. Sound good? Okay, so the story of healing in the New Testament begins with Jesus. So Luke chapter 4, would you turn that way? We have Bibles at the back of the room. If you don't have one with you today or have one of your own, we would love for you to take that with you. But we've also got it um, here behind me on the slide so you can follow along. But Luke chapter 14, beginning in verse 14 is where we're going to be. And once you find your way there, I'm going to invite you to join me in standing for the reading of the scriptures this morning. Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 14. It says, then Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the entire vicinity. He was teaching in their synagogues, being praised by everyone. Verse 16, he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, it's his hometown. And as usual, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day. He stood up to read from the scriptures. And it was the scroll of the prophet of Isaiah that was given to him. And so getting the Isaiah scroll, Jesus unravels it, he begins to find the place of exactly what he wants to read, and then he reads to them where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He then rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down, and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue was fixed on him. He began by saying to them, Today, as you listen, this scripture has been fulfilled. Let's pray. Jesus, you are the anointed one. You are the one who heals. And you heal through the power of your spirit. And so we pray, Jesus, that you would help us today to understand and not just to understand, but to pursue, and not just to pursue, but to experience the healing work that you have for us. So Jesus, would you speak? Holy Spirit, would you minister? Would you work in this place today? Father, draw us in as the family that you've made. In name we pray, amen. We'll go and be seated. So Jesus here, notice a couple of things about the, really, I mean, honestly, the beginning of Jesus' ministry the, like tomorrow, WWDC, Apple's gonna be unveiling all of these new products and we're gonna have to sit and watch like a three-hour video about why we all need to upgrade our MacBooks. But this is Jesus in many ways. This is the product reveal, but it's the person reveal. This is the story of Jesus coming up on the scene and going, this is who I am, these are my specs, this is what I'm gonna do, and this is why you need me. And what does he do? He quotes from the prophet Isaiah these scriptures, and for him, his whole ministry is about how the Spirit of God is on him, that he has been anointed, he has been messiahed. It's the root of where we get that word messiah. And the work that he has come to do is, notice, preaching good news to the poor. So it's a proclamation of a message, but also 
It's to proclaim release to the captives, or the word there is forgiveness, to proclaim forgiveness for the captives, the recovery of sight for the blind, to set free the oppressed. And then even you'll notice in the footnote here, when Jesus quotes from Isaiah, right after the he has sent me also includes this one of he has come to heal the brokenhearted. So just notice, Jesus at the beginning of his ministry comes on the scene, says the spirit of God is on me, he has messiahed me to bring about this new age of spiritual, physical, emotional, social healing and restoration. Jesus says, that's what I have come to do. So now this becomes the primary frame of as you read through the gospels, Jesus just goes around doing exactly what he read in Isaiah. If you flip over to Luke chapter six, just a couple pages over, in verse 17, you'll see behind me, After coming down with them, Jesus stood on a level place with a large crowd of his disciples and a great number of people from all of Judea and Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. They all come to him to be healed of their diseases and tormented by unclean spirits. They were all made well. The whole crowd was trying to touch Jesus because power, the nickname of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit was coming out from him and healing them all. Now, we could spend all day here going through the story after story after story of Jesus' healings in the Gospels, but any of you who have spent any time in, the, in, in any of the Gospels, you just, you just know this is part of the Jesus stuff. 40% of the Gospels are healing stories. So the healing work, whatever you think about Jesus, is not a side gig for him. Like, he's like, what I really came to do is, like, teach Bible stuff. And, you know, is like, you know, kind of Uber eats on the side. Like, I deliver stuff when I have a chance to. Then that's, I go and do healing stuff. Like, it's, a, it's not a side gig for him. Healing is part of the ministry that he has come to do. 40% of the stories are him healing the blind. He's healing lepers. He's healing the mute, deaf, lame, paralyzed. He's, he's healing people of demonic oppression, of epileptic seizure. Like Jesus is healing people everywhere he goes, and he is healing all. We could spend all day going through story after story, but specifically with the question of what is healing's place in the church today? Flip over a couple more chapters to Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. Jesus summoning the twelve gave them power and authority over all the demons and to heal diseases. Then he sent them to proclaim the kingdom of God and to what? Heal the sick. So Jesus has a healing ministry, doesn't he? From the beginning of the get-go, Jesus says, my ministry is one of proclaiming good news and bringing healing, robust, integrated, holistic healing. But Jesus, even in his public ministry, even when he's on earth, does he hoard all of that healing work for him with himself? No, no. He gathers up his 12 disciples and he goes, I'm giving you some of the spirit that's in me, some of that power and authority. I'm giving it to you so that I would be healing people as you are healing people. The interesting change though is in verse uh, six. It's not here, but, but I can just read it for you. Is whereas we just read, Jesus was healing all and everyone who came to him. Just notice in verse six, it says, so the 12 went out traveling from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing, not all, but healing everywhere. So just notice the shift that even though it's still the Holy Spirit healing all sorts of people, there's almost a unique allness in Jesus's healing that for the disciples moves to not all, but everywhere, right? Okay, one more time, one other chapter over. So Jesus has just given his healing ministry to the 12, but he doesn't stop there. The beginning of... Chapter 10, verse 1, and then we'll jump down to verse 9. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others, men and women, and he sent them ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself was about to go. Verse 9, heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near you. So does Jesus hoard all of, is all the healing work of Jesus only in Jesus's, whatever he is? No. He gives it to the 12. Does he only give it to the 12 apostles, you know, who would go on to be the apostles? No, 72 men and women that Jesus has given his healing power to, but Jesus isn't done there. One more move. Now out of the book of Luke, into the book of Acts. After Jesus' death, his resurrection, his ascension, we are now into the age of the church. Eight, verse four, behind me. So those who were scattered went on their way preaching the word. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and he proclaimed the Messiah to them, the king he proclaimed to them. The crowds were all paying attention to what Philip said and as they listened, they saw the signs he was performing 
For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was great joy in the city. So is the healing ministry of Jesus, I'm just going to keep hitting this until we get this in our heads. The healing ministry of Jesus, all the incredible stories that we read about in the Gospels are given to his apostles, the first 12. He gives it to 72. And even after his ascension, even after he is now at work and we're in the age of the church, what you and I are a part of now, you've got ordinary disciples like Philip who is like participating in the ongoing healing work of God, right? Yes and amen. How are we doing? Good. And now just notice one more time. Jesus, everyone he touched, all, right, were healed. And then with the 12 that was healing everywhere, did you catch the word with Philip? Not all, not everywhere, but in verse 7. Many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. So notice, once again, there seems to be some transition that though the potency of healing, we might argue, or the um, always assurance of healing seems to shift. It has no sign of ever stopping, but just a unique way that it was showing up in the life of Jesus. One last spot in the story of healing, and then we'll, we'll keep going. And then here it is. We've been in 1 Corinthians over and over again, but 1 Corinthians 12 one more time. At the beginning of the chapter, towards the end of the first movement, when Paul is listing out all of the ongoing ways that the Spirit is at work within the church. He lists among them in 12, verse 10, to another the performing of miracles, prophecy, distinguishing between spirits, different kinds of tongues, and kinds of, oh, I missed it. Verse nine, sorry. It's a long list, guys. Okay, he says, we have faith, performing of miracles, and right in the middle there is what? Gifts of healing. So this is all, all just to say, all set up, just to, just to win over some of you who don't think that this is an ongoing part of the life of the church today. What Jesus began in his ministry, what was central to Jesus' ministry, has ongoing implications and effects and even like experience within the life of the church today. Now, some of you, you're like, you're just ready for me to get on to like the power encounter, like healing stuff right now, like where I'm just like pushing people over. Whatever. Some of you just are ready for that. But this is crucial setup in particular to win over some of you that, that don't think this is an ongoing thing, but for all of us to have a basis of what he says in chapter 14, verse 1 of 1 Corinthians, eagerly pursuing healing. He would not invite us to eagerly pursue something that wasn't actually available to us, yes? But as he says in chapter 12, verse 1, Paul writes, I don't want you to be unaware or ignorant or uninformed about the way that the Spirit works in the church. I don't want you to be uninformed about the way that healing works in the church and what we should expect or experience or pursue. So this is where I want to move from the, here's the story, and now we're going to be just moving to the substance of healing, the scope of healing, and then finally the basis. So first, what is the substance of healing? And I mean that in the most like philosophical term. What is the underlying nature and essence of healing? Well, we saw time and again, once again, Luke chapter 10, you'll see behind me in verse 9, Jesus says, heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near you. What is the substance of healing? The arrival of the kingdom of God. Yes? Do you guys see this? The, 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 the healing work of Jesus is not a separate, oh, by the way, I just healed you and that was like a cool magic Jesus trick that I got. I, I want to tell you about this thing called the kingdom of God that's a separate thing than what you've, no, 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 no. Healing and the arrival of the kingdom of God go hand in hand. Healing work of Jesus is for him part of what it means that the kingdom is now here. Now the kingdom of God held by many in Jesus's day as being this unique way of talking about what was going to happen in the eschaton, the final age to come, right? When God would come and would ultimately bring all of his shalom and peace and restoration and healing and righteousness and justice and the world would be put made right and the dead would rise, right? That was the kingdom of God. And so what's so profound is in Jesus's ministry, what he keeps saying is that thing that all y'all are waiting for the end of time to come and to arrive, I'm telling you, it's breaking in right here and right now. The thing that y'all are waiting for is a present tense reality. It's breaking in right here among us. N.T. Wright writes, I always feel weird saying that. When Jesus healed people, he intended it to be clear that this wasn't just a foretaste of a future reality. This was reality itself. This was what it looked like when God was in charge, when God is king, 
God's kingdom was coming as he taught his followers to pray in the Lord's Prayer on earth as it is in heaven. So when any healing happens in the life of Jesus or in our church today, those are moments when we go, aha, the kingdom of God is here. It's dawned. It's arrived. It has come. Yeah? So what this means is that the substance of all healing is rooted in the tension of the now and not yet of the kingdom of God. Beginning in the life of Jesus, the kingdom of God has arrived. It is here. It is now. But is it fully here? No. There's injustice. Is it fully here? No. We just came from a month of May gray only to be greeted by just entry point into June bloom. Like, this is why we live here. Like, the weather in Southern California is wonderful, except for like nine months of the year. Um, And so... Just notice, like, we are not in, is the kingdom of God fully consummated? Has it fully arrived? No. But the whole point for the people who are followers of Jesus, who we look at the resurrection of Jesus in particular, but then we also look at all of these healings as moments when we go, the kingdom has a now and a not yet tension. Now and not yet tension. And so then in this idea, healing is a picture of salvation, Healing is a picture of salvation. And even more, it's actually more than that. It's not just a picture of salvation. How, how will I put this? Healing is salvation itself. Track with me for a second before you call me heretic. When you read through the New Testament, you have two different words that you'll find, two word groups. So you'll find over here stories of people being healed or experiencing healing, right? So uh, the deaf can hear, the blind can see, right? Healing. And then over here you have um, these stories where you find the word group of like saved or saving or salvation, right? So you have Zacchaeus. You have been saved by your faith today, right? Like you have been salvation, saved. Those are the same Greek word. In In the original writings of the scriptures, when Luke is writing the gospels, when he looks at what happened to Zacchaeus and the woman hemorrhaging blood, and both of them, it's... So-so is the word. They're healed. They're saved. They're, 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 they're two sides of the same coin. So if you want to just have like an experience reading the Gospels this week, pick a Gospel and read through it. And every time you see the word healed, just replace it with saved. Every time you see the word saved, replace it with healed. There is an overlapping dimension of this stuff because God is at work bringing about his now kingdom of God. He is not simply here to... Just the work that God's doing in this world is he's healing a world that's been broken. And so whatever idea you have of what saved means, it means healing, whole self-healing. But that happens in the tension of the now and the not yet. So regarding what we normally call salvation or saving, there is a now element to your salvation. You are, like for those in Christ, they are forgiven. There is no condemnation. You have a restored relationship with God. The Holy Spirit indwells and empowers you. You have a life of forgiveness and peace that's open and available to you. And yet, because salvation is still not yet, you still struggle with sin. You still mess up. You still drop the ball. You still suffer. You still go through issues. You will still die. Happy Sunday. Like you, this, there is a now, not yet, even to your salvation, Right? And in the same way, as we step into the tension of the now and not yet of the kingdom, healing too is now and not yet. So healing is now. We, we pray and people are healed. We, cancer goes into spontaneous remission. Mental disorders are healed and cured. Bodies are, are restored to health. Because why? The kingdom is now. It has come. And yet because it's not yet, we pray and sometimes nothing happens. We pray and sometimes things get worse. We pray, and even if we do get healed, we still will die sooner or later. Even the best case scenario of healing is you're still gonna die, right? Why? Because the kingdom is now and not yet. And this is the tension that as much as you may wanna be frustrated about it or feel whatever you feel about, this is the tension that the scriptures invite us to lean into and to live into. And the great danger is where so many churches seek to run away from the tension and lean into either an all now or an all not yet view of both salvation and healing. So the now, now where they just see everything is now, right? This is all healing is 100% always available to you. The only thing getting in the way of it is your faith. And so, because why? Because all of it is available to us right now. So any lack of healing, there's just no tension of, yeah, we live in the not yet. 
Similarly, like any wrestle with sin or any depression or doubt or struggle that you have must mean that you're not actually a genuine enough follower of Jesus because we're all now. And the only thing that's lacking is all your fault, right? Now, the other side is you have the all not yet side, which is anytime anyone has any sickness and like, let's get together and pray. We never pray for healing. We're just like, God, would you, I guess, comfort them? You know, kind of just be with them in this but don't heal them because like that's, that's what's coming. So I guess like maybe give them hope that they're gonna be healed one day, but not right now. You don't do that anymore, right? Like, and then the same thing happens also with their view of salvation is they have a very low view of what's actually possible through the work of the spirit in your character over the, the course of a life following Jesus. So it's just like, yeah, not yet. So you just like enough to like love Jesus and trust in him. And like when you die, you'll go to heaven. But like you actually being formed into a person of Jesus and conquering and defeating sin in your life and addiction patterns, like that's not a possibility. So just wait for heaven, right? Both of those are dangerous missteps to the tension of the New Testament. We live in the now and the not yet. That's the substance of salvation. It's the substance of healing. So sometimes we pray and we see breakthrough, we see miraculous. And sometimes we pray and we are left scratching our heads, frustrated and confused. Why? Because we're in the tension of the now and the not yet. So all this to say, healing is both a present and absolutely a future reality. As I move to the scope of healing now, what I wanna focus on is how healing is not just a physical or a spiritual reality, but a whole person dynamic, a whole person reality. Because here's the reality. For most of us raised as like Western, secular, post-enlightenment, overly materialist um, culture, that we are built on the foundation culturally of Platonic Greek thought. Fun philosophy moment for everyone here. What we do is we separate and distinguish between both the mental or the, the soul, the spiritual, and the bodily. Uniquely labeling the body as being of lower importance than what we spiritually or emotionally, or mentally, psychologically experience. We lift the mind above from the body. The way that one philosopher puts that is we conceive of ourselves as brains on sticks. Or this is also where you get the talk of people referring to their bodies as like their meat suit or whatever, right? We have a very low view of the body that's very separate from our full embodied selves. And this is just counter to the portrait that the Bible gives. Now, this is not just like, fun Bible philosophy talk. This is the bedrock of all of the conversations, like watershed conversations right now that we're having as a culture around sexuality and abortion, about gender and sexuality. I already said there's double sexuality. Um, about euthanasia. Like all of these are about what is the relationship of, the, of a body apart from the mind or distinguished or unif unified with the mind. And so we, that's a whole other conversation, but all of this just to say, when we talk about healing, when we talk about what it means to be healed, we need to have an integrated whole person view because this is how the scriptures say. We could go a hundred other places, but just remember back to Jesus' quote of Isaiah. When he says, I have come to bring about the kingdom through the work of the spirit of God, he doesn't go so that you have the right theology in your heads. He doesn't say so that you have some soul, emotional you know, assurance of your forgiveness. Or does he simply say that it's a spiritual reality, you know, freeing you from the demonic or forgiving your, what is it? It's, it's recovery of sight for the blind. It's healing of the brokenhearted. It's forgiveness for those captive in sin. It's, it's redemption from those spiritually, right? So Jesus has this whole person view of what he's come to do. And so we need to shape our mindset around that. And we're just, I, I say this like with all of like my own stuff as well in the midst of this. Like I am so prone to saying this and knowing this theologically and yet I just have been shaped by a culture where I separate my body from my mind or from my spirit, whatever language you wanna use for that. And so that's been like one of my main things that I'm leaning into this season in praying and spirit, what do you wanna lead me in? What do you have for me? Is I keep being reminded by the spirit of attending to my body the need to attend to my body as part of my discipleship to Jesus because I'm an integrated person. So when we talk about healing, there's a handful of overlapping categories that make up one big mush pot of who we are. So just to kind of briefly summarize these and, and to give some space for this. First, when we talk about healing, we're talking about the fact that you and I are spiritual beings. We are, we are spiritual people made for a relationship with God. And so we need healing and restoration of the relationship with God, specifically through a restoration and healing of what we've called before that sin sickness that we carry within us. 
that we are separated from God based off of many of our own decisions, but also as we'll see, it's a big overlap mess. And what we need is a reunion, a restoration of our relationship with God, a spiritual healing of what was broken by sin being brought back together again. Second, we need physical healing. We have bodies that that do not work the way that God made them to work in a broken and fallen world. And so we have cancer, we have arthritis, we have sprained ankles, but also even more than that, you have um, um, going from physical, that part of physical is also the chemical structures and things within your brain. So included within physical is, is OCD and ADHD, it's a clinical depression and anxiety, like that is a physical healing need because it's part of your Body, just as much as a broken leg needs healing or medicine, the same is true with what's going on within our minds. The next is emotional, that we need a healing of, of, of how we process and hold our inner self. What do we do with our anger? What do we do with our disappointment? What do we do? Like those are areas of needed healing. Those are broken, those are in need of restoration, being brought back together again, of how we perceive ourselves. Next is relational, the relationships that we have, where there was brokenness, where there was abuse, there being healing, where there was a a failure, there being forgiveness or restoration. We need relationships being healed because we are relational beings just as much as we are spiritual or physical ones. Next is generational. And so this is part of the fact that you and I, that you are here because of like thousands and thousands and millions of, maybe not millions, but lots and 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 lots of like, of grandparents, and parents, and, and, and the fact that you stand and you jump into your point in life and in the story receiving all of the stuff that's been handed down generation to generation to generation. There are patterns, there's addictions, there's propensities and proclivities, there's mental disorder that have been handed down. And so there's a healing that it's not just your emotions or it's not something physically in your body, it's, it's a healing of your story. Part of this as well would be also we need cultural healing. I was thinking about this last night that no, heal, no culture is the kingdom of God. And as much as the kingdom of God celebrates all cultures and what we bring out of them, it also wants to heal and correct those areas of the cultures that we've grown up in that are askew from the kingdom of God. And then finally is demonic. Now, this is, I, Isaac's got this in, uh, in two weeks, so that's why he's laughing, is most often we separate like deliverance, spiritual demonic stuff from what's going on within our bodies or our minds or, or any of this. And I just, just notice in every single one of those stories we read from the story of healing, we keep getting healing paired alongside deliverance from some kind of dark spiritual oppression. Those just go hand in hand within the worldview of the scriptures. And they go hand in hand with every single culture throughout all of human history up until like we got here. So that doesn't mean that, I mean, you might be kind of on the fence on this. It just means we need to have some humility that maybe they were onto something that we're not. So here, here's what's going on here. First thing to say, what I'm not saying is that in every single instance, an area of needed healing, all of these are present. So Isabel sprained her ankle last week. I don't think that's because a demon of tripping put something in front of her. I don't think that it's a manifestation of her broken walk with God. I don't, right? I don't think that it's, what is it, you know, that she's got like some family curse of like tripping or whatever. I don't know. Sometimes a sprained ankle is just a sprained ankle. Sometimes a, a migraine is just a migraine. Sometimes, sometimes ADHD is just like we were raised in front of televisions, right? And so all that to say is like, what I'm not saying is that these are all present. What I am saying is that these are likely more present in our stories and in our whole person selves than we are prone as like Western secular materialists to give credence to, to give credence to. So just notice like a couple of these details here is um, how many of, have any of you read The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk? There you go. Awesome. Some of you guys are here for it. Um, Bessel van der Kolk, what is the whole point of that book? is very often physical ailments in your body are an expression of emotional trauma that has not been dealt with. There's another book called Why Zebras Don't Have Ulcers that covers the same kind of stuff. So oftentimes, in order to, we need to do stuff, yes, and address the physical, but there's also like, we need prayer, we need therapy, we need to work through our stories. The same is true with the generational and the physical. There's a, a, an area of science called epigenetics that looks at what they call inherited chromosomal patterns, which would be that parents and grandparents who experienced particular very big trauma actually handed it down into the genetic code of their grandkids. 
So when they study and they look at grandchildren of Holocaust survivors, they live with PTSD for trauma they never actually lived through. Or, or children of women who lived through a Swedish famine, they have a higher rate of schizophrenia than any other buddy else in the world. Why? Because we are, we are whole persons. You can't live those formative years as a little human being and actually made out of other human beings and not carry a little bit of that with you. The way that Pete Scazzaro says it is you may have Jesus in your heart, but you still have grandpa in your bones. And we need to let Jesus heal all of that. Or even just to add to this, my, my spiritual director, I hate it. I hate it that he does it, but he does it all the time. And whenever we talk, and I'll, I'll start talking about like the emotional or the spiritual stuff that I'm working through. I'm just like, oh, I just feel like this, or I feel like God might be distant from me, and I'm working through all this. And he just will kind of like let me, you know, rant for a bit. And then he just asks about questions about how am I sleeping? How, what's my diet? Am I exercising at all? And, and how am I like resting and playing, Right? And why is, he, why is he doing that? It doesn't mean that he doesn't get to this. We talk about spiritual stuff that we can, we can take. Why? Because I'm an integrated human being. And so if I'm going with no sleep because I have a toddler, right? I, I just, I, it, it's silly for me to expect that my emotional, physical, spiritual experience is going to be untouched by that reality. Some of you are like new parents in here and you're like, I feel like God is distant. No, you're just not sleeping and that's okay, like, you just need to ask for God's grace to be with you in the midst of it, right? So there's a couple of these. But here, I just, just to drive this point home about the spiritual connection to the physical, James chapter 5. Watch, watch what this does. James, writing to the church, says, Is anybody here sick? Let them call for the elders, the pastors of the church, to pray over them, anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. James, are we talking about healing or forgiveness here? Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So just notice here in James that now, does he say every single time someone comes from healing, they have a sin to confess? No, he says, if they have sinned, then part of their prayer for healing should be a confession of that sin to God, and then there will come healing. So, so very, very often we may go, man, I'm, I'm, I've got this physical ailment that I'm going through that I'm processing. Some of it's like Bessel van der Kolk stuff. And what you find is it's like, oh, I've been harboring bitterness towards someone, withholding forgiveness for someone. And so what I need to do is I need to confess that and, and then also pray for healing. Then also go see the doctor and see, you know, if I need to do anything about my diet. So let me just note, note here, this is not, this view is not that collective church or I would argue the scriptures, are anti-science, anti-medicine, or anti-therapy. The whole point is we are whole persons in need of whole person healing. And so that means that we're gonna receive and step into any avenue of healing that's been made available to us or given to us, whether that is the common grace of doctors and medicine and therapy and or like the miraculous work of God where he just comes and heals something. There are all sides of times where we go through the process of, Cancer, and we're going through and doing all of this stuff of what we need to do. We're going through chemotherapy, we're going through radiation treatment, and we're praying alongside that. And either at the end of it, there, there's healing and through the process, or they've been doing that for so long and nothing's changing and it's actually getting worse. And then there's prayer and there's healing. What is that? Those are those moments where we go, yes, it's and or. I go through therapy to name the emotional trauma that I've got going on that might be showing up in physical ways, but after naming it, I still need healing work in there. So I invite Jesus to heal me. So we just, we are radically big on a both and perspective when it comes to the scope of healing and how God works within that. God is the God who works in common grace. How did God heal you this morning? Or excuse me, how did God feed you this morning? How did God feed you this morning? You woke up, you walked out to the fridge, a modern miracle, and you, you opened it up. You poured out the Cheerios and the milk or whatever. How did you get caught? Like all of these gifts of God come to us, not by these divine drop-down moments. That does happen. Yes and amen, right? Manna dropping from heaven, bread in the desert. Absolutely happens. And yet God also works through common grace. So it's common and it's special and we don't forsake or give up on either of those. We don't only stick with the common like those who would say the kingdom is only not yet, but we also don't reject the common good graces of God like those who would say it's all now. Does that make sense? The scope, what, what we're getting at here. Okay, so now let's move to the basis of healing. 
So here we have, we know by the story that healing is an ongoing activity of the spirit in the church today. We know that it's based and rooted in the tension of the already not yet of the kingdom. And we know that the scope of it is for the whole person. And so we seek for the spirit to bring healing for our whole persons. How do we pursue that? And you've heard me read it a couple of times here now, but, but the basis of healing is faith. The basis of healing is faith. What did it say in James? Can you go back to the slide from James Hudson? Sorry to make you go back. And the prayer offered, verse 15, the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. What's the basis of, of healing? It's faith. So the basis of healing is faith, but also its absence is the resistance of healing. You can go to Mark uh, chapter six. When Sabbath came, Jesus began to teach in the synagogue and many who heard him were astonished. Where did this man get these things, they said? What is this wisdom that's been given to him and how are these miracles performed by his hands? Isn't this the carpenter's kid, the son of Mary and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters right over there like sitting in the room with us? So they were offended by Jesus. Next slide. Jesus said to them, a prophet isn't without honor, except in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his household. It's a very funny thing. In his household, Erin was, um, she came in, she was listening to some podcast about how people who work with their hands need to rest with their mind on Sabbath, and those who need to, uh, those who work with their mind rest with their hands, those who work with their hands rest with their mind. I've said this hundreds of times over the years about like the ways that I rest with, you know, gardening or whatever. And, uh, I've said this about Sabbath for years with Aaron. And she came in uh, yesterday and was like, I heard the best thing ever from, <laughs> from Justin Whitmell Early. We're reading this book that he's, you know, that he wrote. It's really Habits of the Household. And she goes, he says, get this, get this. He says, those who like work with their head, you know, like you, like you're writing sermons, you know, during the week or whatever, they should rest with their hands and like that's, like, that's like totally what you do. Like when you're gardening or you're doing projects around the house, you're like resting with your hands. And I'm just like, I am done. I'm done. I'm loving that. So anyway, um, a prophet is not without honor except in his household. Uh, JK. Anyway, um, so notice this, okay? They're offended. They don't believe in Jesus. Verse five, he was not able to do a miracle there except the guy who was just a couple chapters ago was healing all he only was only able to heal a few sick and he healed them. And he was amazed. That's a very nice way of putting it. He was perplexed. He, it was, he just was mind blown by this at their unbelief. And so he goes to the other villages teaching and healing. So just notice, James says, the one with praise who, with faith will be healed. And Jesus comes back home to Nazareth and he's ready to pray, like heal and bring blood. And, and by the unbelief, it's, it's, he, he, can't, he will not, cannot, it, there's a resistance to the healing work of God. Now, there is absolutely a damnable, like dangerous side of this, which is, like I said a moment ago, those who would say that the kingdom and healing is already, like it's all now. There's no not yet to it. And so any absence of healing is the absence of faith. You're not praying hard enough. You're not faithing hard enough, if that's a word. And so, so if anyone, if you're sick, if you're not healed, or if someone dies, and like we, we, we it's your fault. I had a close friend who walked away from Jesus because of this. His mom got sick. The culture and church that they were part of was all about the now and, and no tension on the not yet. They rejected common grace through medicine and doctors and said, we're just gonna keep praying for healing. And, and she, it, didn't, it didn't come. And so she dies. And then the church has the audacity to then go around be talking about the family and saying that to them directly that the problem was that you guys didn't have enough faith. And he, so he, he, of course he would walk away from Jesus. Jesus is some kind of like slot machine that you're putting money in, hoping that you get to pull the final. You just didn't give enough of your, your time to the slot machine, hoping that you roll the healing dial. So you walked away from it. There's absolutely a deep, like, faith is not the absence of, one, pursuing God's grace and common grace. Like this is some of the silliness of people that would say faith over fear stuff. And like, if you're, you want to yell at me about that right now, don't do it right now. Come talk to me later and I'll show you why you're wrong. But 
I'm not, like genuinely, people that would say faith over fear, what's happening in this space right here? Hear me, if this is where you're prone to lean, is what comes with faith over fear is honestly, at the end of the day, it's a statement of saying faith over the common grace ways that God is at work within the world. And unless God works in the crazy, miraculous ways that I want him to, then it must not be genuine. And it says that faith is also against any kind that you're just like open, receptive to whatever happens to you. There's a whole bunch of stuff there. So faith is not anti-pursuit of the common grace gifts of God and the ways that he heals. But also, here's the thing, hear me. Faith is not a promised assurance of healing in the scriptures. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul himself, Paul the guy who healed everybody, not everybody, but he healed just about it. There's like Jesus healing stories and there's like Peter and Paul are probably tied, honestly, in the book of Acts. And not only that, he had had healing stories for himself over and over again. Blind and then he could see, bit by a snake and he was like, no, man, I'm great. But notice in, in here in chapter 12, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, him talking about a particular physical affliction, suffering, a messenger of Satan to torment me so I wouldn't exalt myself. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it would leave me. That's not like three like, God heal me, God heal me, God heal me. He's saying three seasons, three ongoing periods of my life where I was pursuing and praying for healing that it would leave me. But he being God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast in uh, all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. So just notice, Paul, big faith, little faith kind of guy. Pretty big faith kind of guy. And yet there was this one area of healing that although he had healing all throughout his life, one particular area where God said no. Specifically so that, like he said, you might find my grace being sufficient and my power might be displayed through you. This is, so, this is bedrock theology to this right here. Listen to this. When you are healed, what is it? It's the power of God being displayed in you. And Paul seems to say that when God actually withholds healing and sets it, delays it for the not yet, he says that is just as much an avenue and display of the power of God as the healing. Do you see that? But, but, but here's the, here's the key, key things here. There's, I could spend here all day. One, one thing to notice here, God is not the one who afflicts Paul. He says explicitly it's a messenger from Satan. There's some like hyper-Calvinist stuff, you know, coming out of that myself and working through all that myself, that like God, God gave your grandma cancer or that God gave you OCD. God, God gave you clinical depression. Like that's my thorn in the flesh that God gave. No, it's from Satan. It's anti the kingdom of God, yes? So that's the first thing to notice. Second, like I said, is notice that the very same power that is the healing work of God in Paul's story, he says it's the same power that's at work in me even when God says no, not yet for the healing. And third, this in Paul's life and in all the New Testament is the exception rather than the rule. There are so many of us raised in the church in particular traditions who have made this the rule of what we do when we go through suffering and pain. It's my thorn in the flesh. And so I'm just, I'm just learning that God's grace is sufficient and his power is being displayed in me. This is the exception rather than the rule. The rule, the pattern in the New Testament is when God's people come to him in faith and prayer for healing, God brings healing. Yes, in the tension of the not yet. But, but collective church, I love you so much. The invitation in the tension of the now and not yet is we are so prone to lead so hard on not yet that anytime anyone suffers something, we're just like, if we, if we do pray for healing, we're like, God, oh, would you pray for healing? But if you don't, that's cool. Like, we get it. And so just, like, give them comfort and be with them and, like, you know, whatever. But, but if you do, or, like, you know, kind of want to heal, like, this is like, I to heal. But, but, but be with them, right? Like, we so couch any prayer for healing. And, and the tension of the now and not yet is to boldly declare by faith, God, you want them healed. I'm praying for myself or on behalf of my brother or sister that you would heal them as an expression of the nowness of the kingdom. And I'm gonna keep praying that until either you heal them or until you confirm that it's a not yet by either them dying and being with you or until you give a message to them like Paul that, you know what, in this situation, my grace is gonna be sufficient. But until we get those two, either we bury them or they hear a word from God or you do uniquely, we keep praying, we keep declaring by faith that God wants to heal. 
The tension of the now and not yet is we got, I am not worried about us overleaning on the now. Is it a danger? Absolutely. But we are so down in the not yet where we're like, well, the heaven's going to be great, a new creation. There's going to be healing for everyone. And so until then, sucks to be you. Like that's basically like the operation that we have. And it's like, man, I want to lean into all that the kingdom of God has for us in the basis of this. So here's, here's the question then. What, what does faith look like expressed in the life of the believer pursuing healing? I wish I could quote where I heard it from, but it's a really good quote. That the language of faith is prayer. See? Good. The language of faith is prayer. Faith doesn't promise healing, but faith is the doorway. And the way that we walk through the doorway of faith in any situation, but in particular here with healing, is prayer. That we call out to God as the one who heals, as the one who is creator God, the one who restores what is broken, the one revealed in the person of Jesus who is just healing all of the time. We call out on that God and we ask that he would step into this situation. We pray. We call out to him in prayer and we ask that he would heal. And so, as we get into like very, very practical, how, how do we pray for healing? Here's the thing. There is no paradigm in the New Testament of doing healing apart from faith expressed through prayer. There's no paradigm. You read every story. Sometimes Jesus prays and, or he touches or they touch him and they're healed instantly. Psh, I'm well. Other times there's like multiple phases of the healing where Jesus touches them, prays for them. He goes, can you see? He's like, kind of, it looks like trees are moving around. He's like, you're not there yet, right? So he prays for him again, and then he's healed, right? So sometimes it's instant. Sometimes it's progressive. Sometimes it comes through the laying on of hands very regularly. Sometimes it's just the power of Jesus's word over a situation. Sometimes it's people getting caught in the shadow of Peter and getting healed. Sometimes it's people like mailing Paul's handkerchiefs. I don't think that these are, all I'm listing these to say is there's no paradigm, but it's people by faith calling out to God for healing and then receiving it in any way that they can, whether that's partial and progressive or instant, whether that's hands or voice or revert. And so there's just, there's no paradigm other than faith expressed through prayer, but to give us kind of a working paradigm so that we can at least scratch, you know, some of that. Here's just very simple, but just kind of to get us in the right space when it comes to praying for healing. So first, is we come to Jesus in prayer and we invite the Holy Spirit. We just, we come to Jesus in prayer as the one who heals, the one with the, who the Spirit was on, the one who was anointed, the one who came to say, I'm bringing about this kind of kingdom of healing. And so we say, Jesus, we're coming to you and we ask that you would be present through the work of your Holy Spirit right here, right now in this, in this situation. If it's for yourself or it's for the person, pray either together or if you're just praying alone, just ask and listen. Holy Spirit, open my eyes to myself as a whole person in need of healing right now. And so I may be feeling this or this or some relational thing and I'm, I just wanna step before you, my full self, and I just want you to illuminate what it, what it is that, that I, I, I genuinely do need to bring to you and ask for healing. Like I said, sometimes a sprained ankle is a sprained ankle. But sometimes, sometimes there's a pattern or a rhythm or a way that your chronic pain, that's an expression of some kind of abuse or trauma that you've gone through. And the Spirit goes, I want to heal both of those things. I don't want to just deal with the fruit. I want to go to the root of where this is coming from. So we just ask for the Spirit and we listen. Then we pray for and or declare healing with faith. Sometimes we pray, God, would you heal my brother right now of what he's experiencing? God, would you, you know, just heal him, restore his body, restore his mind, bring him to the wholeness and completion of the kingdom that is now here. And then other times, honestly, more regularly in the New Testament, both in the life of Jesus and in the rest of the, the book of Acts in the early church, was, was declaring in faith, like, be healed, get up. Now, for some of us are like, that sounds crazy. Yeah. Maybe, but like the whole point is that that's, that's the pattern of the experience. And there may be times where through the Holy Spirit, this, erupt, this overwhelming faith that Jesus is gonna heal leads you to go, I'm just gonna declare it now, ankle be healed. And if they go, oh, well, it's still just as weird for them as if you were praying for it. And so here's the question. So then check in after praying or declaring that healing over them. How, how do you feel? Or the person that you're praying with? How, how do you ask them, how do they... If it's something with their back, have them, you know, does it, oh, okay, they're healed. All right, cool. Then we get to, we just go celebrate. Oh, it's, 
if it's starting, it feels like it's starting to get better. Or I feel a sensation, like a coolness or a heat, like something like that, where it just feels like there's something at work within my body right now. Then it's like, okay, cool. We're going to keep praying then. Like, because it's evident something's happening, but you're not fully, so we're going to keep praying. So then you pray in, until they're healed. And then what happens when nothing happens? I said it a moment ago. You, you just keep, repeat, one through four. You just, you keep praying. You, like Paul, you go through those seasons, three times of prayer, and you do that until they're healed. You do that until they die, at which point we just entrust them over to God's not yet promise. But, but that doesn't mean that we gave up on the now and the option and the possibility of it to us. Or until they or you receive a unique, like a sense and a word from God, my grace is sufficient for you, my power is gonna be perfected in this weakness. And so, okay, well then Jesus would you express and show your power through me walking with this as much as you would if I was healed? And help me to walk through that. So these, 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 this, it's actually very simple as far as practically what it looks like. And the whole point is we're just entering into being obedient and faithful to asking the Spirit to work, believing that he can. And then we just go, God, it's, it's entirely on you. That we have done our part in prayer and faith and trusting you. And we trust your goodness and your faithfulness that even in those moments where we hear not yet, either through someone's death or through the struggle of, of praying and, and it seemed like God's not hearing us, but we're still committing to being faithful and, and calling out to even in those moments, we're just always, been, we're, we're doing it. Why? Because we live in the tension of the now and the not yet. And so here's the thing. The story of healing in the scriptures leaves us no doubt that this is an ongoing work of the spirit in the church today. And so what we do is we step into the tension of the now and not yet with our whole embodied selves and we say, Jesus, would you heal me? Jesus, I have faith that you are the one who heals and that you not only can heal, but that you want to, that you desire to. And my prayer is that that desire would show itself in a present tense right now healing in this situation. I'm gonna keep praying for that and asking that and saying, Jesus, the parable of the persistent widow, I'm gonna keep praying, trusting until you tell me otherwise. And so my prayer for collective, what uh, this week has been is that what Jesus said in Luke chapter four at the beginning of his ministry, what was true in Jesus' Jesus's ministry, what was true in that synagogue on that, on that Sabbath day, the those words from Isaiah would become more and more true, not just in this place this morning, but about our church in general. Where because the spirit of the Lord has now been given to us, because we have been anointed like, we are little, that's what Christian, little Christian, little Christs, anointed ones. That we have been given the spirit of Jesus. We have been anointed to preach good news to the poor. He has sent us to heal, for this to be a place in a community where the brokenhearted are healed where the captives to sin are forgiven and released, where the blind are seeing again, where, where cancer goes into spontaneous remission, where bodies and minds and souls and relationships and our, 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 our psycho-emotional, and that demonic, that all of that kind of stuff would be, as he says, to set free the oppressed. That this would be a place of freedom, of healing, of life. And we live absolutely in the tension of the now and not yet. But collective church, the invitation of God is that the kingdom of God has arrived. And, and it's, it hasn't receded. It hasn't gone back down under the horizon in any way. And so the invitation for us is to fix our eyes on the dawning kingdom and say, God, would you just give me a glimpse? Would you shine your healing light in this particular area right now?